0: Hi, everybody, Jose Palomino with another episode of Business Growth on Purpose. And our guest today is Lou Phillips. Now, Lou is an experienced international business development executive with a strong engineering background. And we're going to explore globalization and resilience and how it applies, especially to smaller or mid-market businesses that have to make it in this pretty rough and tumble world especially given the last two years that we've all been going through. So listen closely as Lou joins our show and shares his wisdom with us today. Well, welcome Lou to Business Growth On Purpose.
1: Hey Jose. Thanks for having me.
0: No, no, my pleasure, my pleasure, Lou. Uh, so Lou, just for our audience, as we always like to do, is we like to ask our guests, what do you do and who do you do it for? Just to give us some context for our conversation
1: sure sure so so i'm an engineer uh turned global business developer turned strategic consultant um, so i i just tend to I, I work best when i discover obstacles and friction that disconnect the vision of my customers from sort of the day at lived daily reality of their of their work um there tends to be some problems in those areas and, and we we work through that right so that's what i end up doing and I, I work for Usually small, small companies that are either getting started or um, up to about a medium sized company where they may be looking at maybe um, shoring up some, some of the issues that they have internally or wanting to open up a new division that, you know, has a a sense of being separate from the, from the total, uh, creating a new division rather than creating a whole company. Gotcha. Tends to be where I work. Right. So now, Lou, you you
0: come to this, like where you are now, what you're doing now, uh, having gone through, as I understand it, uh, you as an executive running fairly substantial organizations as well. So this is not this is not academic. This is you've you've lived out everything you're helping people do now. You've actually had to figure out for yourself at an earlier point in your career.
1: Uh, yeah yeah and it it's it's a huge range like one time when i was fresh out of college i worked for a satellite manufacturer hughes space communication and Mm -hmm. the engineers worked on this um this part called the ceramic column grid array and it was a it was new technology at that time um but and and it was really important because it was a density issue to put on satellite but the problem was is if that part went down then we were facing a million dollar a day missed launch penalty. And they didn't know how to re- repair it. So I became one of maybe three people in the world at a tender age of 25, um, that was able to repair and replace this part, uh, you know, for a satellite that's currently flying in the, you know, the stratosphere now. Um, I think it's a LEO satellite. Um, so so that's an example of, of, you know, tackling some big problem, even at a young age. And then through, through the, the decades, I've done business development in a global context, um, predominantly with Indian companies. Um, but I've, I've worked in, in Europe, uh, you know, Latin America. Oh, I, I've, I've done $15 million deals. I've done $500 deals, right? So it's there's a range there with people and problems and mostly on the technical side, mostly, you know, Mostly I see it like um, you can take the the boy out of engineering, but you can't take the engineering out of the boy. Okay. And so that's how I apply myself everywhere.
0: Wow. Wow. So that's interesting. Now they they didn't act actually have to shoot you into space to fix the satellite, right? It was while it was still on the ground.
1: Yeah, you know, that it was a big it was a big problem though. You know, they they were these ceramic column grid arrays were a real bugger and boy, they could not. Let one go, and and frankly, we never had a problem. So they did all this training, and I did I I did bodies of research that were studied, and and articles were written. We weren't able to write them because of our non-disclosures, for example. Mm But you know, we did a huge amount of work that actually improved the the state of the industry. We never got credit for it, and we never actually had to use it because we never had a failure.
0: Okay. Wow. Well, that's that's interesting, right? So it was like at a young age, giving you that sense of solving big problems that 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 opportunity to solve big problems so and, and the other thing i really appreciate about your background lou is the fact that you've done so much work internationally right so if we've learned anything in the last two years i mean we kind of knew it intellectually but now everybody at the grocery store recognizes that we're this globally connected economy yeah <laughs> everything you know it's coming together so what do you see coming out of the last couple of years, you know, pandemic and so on? What do you see for, uh, let's say, a business owner leader today, somebody in B2B, manufacturing, industrial services, listening to this conversation right now? What would you say to them are some things they should be thinking about or preparing as the, this globalization is real? Should they be looking at, hey, I got to onshore everything back into the US
1: mm-hmm.
0: and, you know, put up the fortress walls and forget the world? <laughs> or is it a different way of engaging with the world than before?
1: Yeah, that's that's a really great question. And I, I honestly, I, I think I think people make the huge mistake of being one in one camp or the other. Really, there it just can't be like that. So, so for example, it, you know, given like the backups at the ports, it does make a lot of sense to bring certain types of manufacturing um, closer to the customer. Oh my gosh, I would absolutely advocate for that. Um, some things need to be local. Um, but what you tend to find is that people jump into this idea that it must be insourced or else, or it must be hyper local or else. And frankly, like uh, where I where I live right now, there's uh, there, there aren't a lot of engineering companies and a lot, not a lot of engineering talent in this particular region of the country. Um, and if I needed an engineer, and I was somehow bent on getting somebody in my facility, I'd be in, I'd be in a world of hurt. So that's where I I lean heavily on really outsourcing is an amazing tool. It's a business tool. It's not a political football. It's frankly, if you can't, if you don't have the skills, you got to go find them. Sometimes the best skills aren't even in the country. If you, if you don't have the budget, you got to go still fix the problem. Sometimes that problem is with, skill sets that aren't in the country. Really, the idea of getting the job done is really where it needs to be. I mean, outsourcing itself is a concept, is labor arbitrage is as old as Adam Smith. So it's not gonna go away. Not today, not tomorrow, not this You know, politician or president. It's just not gonna happen. The question really is just take a strategic approach. Look, step back, survey the landscape these issues these few core issues need to be addressed locally then do it right find find your local manufacturing job shops find a find a warehouse space you know just outside of abilene texas whatever then then continue to observe the rest of your system what parts of the system it's a system of systems that's what a business ends up being so which parts of the system are sub-optimized You've got to have a metric. If one of your metrics is I can't find enough people, then go find the people. That doesn't mean they're going to be sitting, you know, in a in a commutable radius. Frankly, some of the best engineers I've ever met, and I'm not joking, they're they're sitting in these little, uh, you know, uh, buildings in in Hyderabad, India. I'm I'm i have been aw- gobsmacked by how impressive some of these engineers can be. Now they're not here that also means there's constraints now some of those constraints again stepping back you see other things like uh, itar you, not everything from here can go there you see things like immigration issues so not every brilliant person in india can show up you know here you know break bread with us you know and figure out how our team works there are com- there are challenges in this entire system but you cannot presume one camp or the other is the way to go it's it's dumb and it's immature relative to being a business leader. You cannot you cannot play that game.
0: So, so a lot of you you hit on this uh, labor shortage issue, right? So clearly, a lot of people in in uh, in manufacturing. I think uh, I was interviewing somebody recently, and they said by two thousand twenty eight, which is less a little over half a decade from now, there'll be over close to three million manufacturing jobs that will go unfilled. Because it's just the the talent isn't there if things continue in the current trajectory. So, you know, who knows if that's actually true? No one has an exact crystal ball. But it's sure just anecdotally talking to people in manufacturing, I say, it sounds pretty like it's going to be like that. It does sound that way. And what you're saying, Lou, is have a systems approach to things and say you need the labor you need. And if it isn't available locally, then you have no choice but to find it at the next, you know, moment, almost like concentric circles, the next ring of proximity, wherever that makes sense. And that labor isn't just somebody working a shop floor. It could be an engineer. It could be a knowledge worker of some sort that we don't, you know, we used to think outsourcing was just like the grunt jobs, but it could be any of the jobs potentially.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I bumped into, I had a really interesting conversation with the procurement manager at Boeing a few years ago they were they were at that time getting hammered by the unions and he said listen they, these people you know best of intentions or whatever they they missed the point he said I, boeing can can uproot every job every engineering job in seattle and move it anywhere in the world they wanted to they physically are already in all of the you know regions of the world where talent exists they don't have to be in seattle and so it it was kind of a moment where I realized you can create your own weather from time to time.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: a company the size of Boeing can actually just make a decision and fundamentally transform a state's economy. Um, so I think that you should manage yourself responsibly. And I'm, you know, I'm not saying that that was a particularly good idea or whatever. That's not the point. The The thing is, is that if, if you really you know, if you're bumping into structural issues, then as a leader, you have to fix what you can fix, right? And sometimes these issues are beyond your control. For example, global warming. There isn't one political leader um, or billionaire that can do anything differently than me, right? We all bow at the end of the day to the fact that we can't live you know, in this planet, right? So, So I would say that's pretty structural, right? So if you're a billionaire and you don't want to wake up in that world, then you're going to do something about it now, which actually may mean you don't get a vote. You, you know, not like you'd want. Maybe you have to go be creative. You know, um, apply your, your your business in a different way. Go to a different country, solve a different problem. Stop producing certain things like, you know, you know, uh, carbon-heavy concretes or whatever, right? And and do something about it, right? You, ha- you can't just do business as usual. The more I, the, oh my gosh, I think we're at an inflection point, an epoch defining inflection point. I feel like nothing that we grew up with, you, you and me, Jose, that we knew about, that we studied in school, that world just doesn't seem to exist anymore. And I feel like, you know, we probably are at a point where we're going to have to make some big decisions. And among them, our, how we got our manufacturing work done before, how we got, you know, accounting done before is not going to be the same in the next five years, decade, whatever. I don't see how we, and I'm not saying just generally things are evolving. That's always the case. That's humanity, but this is something different. This feels very different to me.
0: Now, is that all, uh, do you see that difference, uh, as, as a direct result of COVID or it just happened to be the timing. It, it kind of was one of the, like the straw that broke the camel's back and now, but these things were happening anyway, these changes you're describing were unfolding as uh, would have, we would have felt them unfolding either way, but now we really just felt them faster.
1: Well, that's an interesting question. So I, th- I think there were signals all along, right? If you, if you are, have the creativity and the mindset to go look for a signal about, what could a pandemic do to us then you'll find a lot of things that were already present in the days and weeks before COVID actually hit so then COVID hits and now we're in the soup right so that's one thing then global warming what, believe it don't believe it whatever but their signals are what they are and um at some point we're gonna have to roll and i think that that is starting to happen things like electric vehicles are coming you know the battery technology all by itself is super exciting um you know there there's some discussions about uh nuclear f- uh fusion it, happening mm-hmm. in europe uh, just really amazing stuff right it not it's not like nuclear fusion itself is a new technology i studied about it in college when i was young but there's it's almost here now right okay. and, but, and then to answer your question it's a it seems like everywhere you look the institutions we relied on are crumbling the cultural touchstones that you and I grew up around don't seem to have as much meaning now uh, as, as a kind of a global footprint seems to be emerging in, in, in the space of we used to have an identity. Now our d- identity is sort of being uh, ripped apart and remade instead of, you know, instead of an Oklahoma City identity. In my case, I'm really thinking more globally these days. And, and certainly it's my background, right? I've been all over the world i can't you know i can't see us going backwards in any way that would you recognize from your youth i just don't see it
0: well so the implications for that is uh so i guess one i'm taking from that but not just uh, materially but also culturally that globalization isn't going away um, as a thing if anything it's accelerating now
1: correct
0: um and then as it relates to business um there are maybe a bit of overreactions to some and frankly uh, in my personal opinion i think people ran too many places in the supply chain everybody ran inventory so tight because they expected the the link before them to be the one that would have the buffers because on your balance sheet get rid of your buffers and you can improve your balance sheet temporarily but when the music stopped like musical chairs that all the the fact that nobody had buffers in their in their in the inventory everybody was thinking the next guy would handle the just in time demands that they were placing on them. It just really strained the system. So that was an overreaction to some good ideas. And then now it may be an overreaction to say, well, we got to go all one way or all the other. And you're saying, Hmm, like, take, take a step and take a look at what you actually need to do for the system you're building.
1: Well, you know what exactly? First off the, the most succinct thing that I've seen in a, Last couple of months came from uh, uh, General McChrystal in his book Risk, because he tackles this, this this notion of risk and this notion of resilience in a VUCA world, right? Volatility, uncertainty, chaos. What I don't even quite recall what they all stand for, but but the, the, here's the deal, right? So we, you know, when you and I were growing up through school, it was all about you know efficiency, but now it it really has to you know, you have to take a much closer look at risk and what you come up with when you observe risk and your exposure to it is not just a risk response, but more of a resiliency um, point of view, a perspective, a a posture, a resilient posture. That I think is what we're entering. Um, The the, the world that, like I said, the, the world isn't going to be the same, but what you can rely on is that there will be more kind of structural change? Those things are going to be happening in a way that is out of your control. What could be in your control, though, is a notion of resilience. So, if these horrible things happen, if you looked at, um, I think it's the uh, the World the World Economic Council. Uh, I'm I forgot. I'll, I'll let you know later, but there was a there's a global risks report, and if any of those things happen, your business could actually you know go away overnight. I mean, they're just huge structural issues.
0: Well, what's interesting in in two thousand in in the the early parts of the two thousands, I was doing my MBA program, right? So I didn't with at at Villanova, and they were introducing enterprise risk management as one of the modules that you had to cover. And I remember the, uh, the professor who was actually a partner at KPMG, he was teaching this class. And he says, you know, this is a rapidly maturing, but not yet fully integrated component of corporate governance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's, they used to be like maybe a risk officer or somebody, but they didn't really have a, a seat on the, at, the main t- at the big boys' table, right? At the, the grown up table. But they do now. And this is going back maybe 15, 16 years ago. So now, all the more risk is usually, and I'm glad you 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 talk about it because we don't. I find big companies have the capacity to do it, but my my curiosity is really, how does a smaller company? They're not going to have a full time enterprise risk management officer on the team. They barely have a, a senior VP of marketing or, or or anything else. You know, they have a CFO maybe. So how do they become resilient? What are some things a smaller company? I don't mean tiny, but just you know, 10, $15 million owner led business. How do they become resilient in this world today?
1: Well, so I think it starts with, it starts kind of nuts and bolts stuff. What's your vision? Like, are you aligned to your vision? Why are you, why do you exist at all? And then inside that, what strategy, you know, what's your mission, you know, so what is your strategy? How are you developing it? What's the gameplay around that strategy? How does it show up Monday morning in terms of tactics? Now that's kind of, okay, that's fine to say, it's just an overall thing. But really, when you look at it from that point of view, you've just defined the system or the system of systems. And then if you can metricize what you just did and tie the daily activities to the vision itself, then you have have something powerful. Then you have to manage for that. So you Mm -hmm. have to have governance, monthly, quarterly, you know, half yearly and yearly governance and you have to be honest with yourself it's very difficult if you're doing this right everybody in the room is really quite uncomfortable it's gut-wrenching to to have a metric that's missed that you agreed to that's showing that your business is under risk under you know it has it lacks resiliency right and it might also be inefficient too right so it depends on what you're measuring but the, the point i'm making tie your vision to your as-lived daily reality put metrics to it and then govern it okay. and you it, people can do that at any level they typically do it at higher levels at the, at the large-scale corporations but honestly even that's just you know um it's it's it lacks teeth it, you know it's not really at a divisional level. It's, uh, these things are disconnected so that's a different discussion but uh
0: no, but that's good. That's a very good observation. And, you know, I just think, I mean, the, the biggest risk almost is like not having a vision, not right. having a clear mission, like yes. just if you say, okay, what is it? And you can't hire the consultants to give us a vision yes. or give us a mission statement. Exactly. Uh, that's just wordsmithing. But what is it really that you want to accomplish in this world? Yeah. What do you want your business to do? It seems like it seems basic, but I clearly, and I, I, you know, I've been doing Valley Prop now uh for closing in on 20 years and working with tons of you know business owners and i gotta tell you most i run into have a little bit more vision because that's why they're talking to me because they want to get somewhere but it's fuzzy
1: mm-hmm. and they
0: need help to clarify it um and so and and then the others i've talked to just don't even have the other than like you know we're just trying to make a living here and <laughs> yeah. no and then you know that's okay i understand that but you know it, you you won't survive very long with that as your north star you know we're just trying to make a living here
1: oh yeah how can you see around any corners like it's futurism is generally hard anyway right Right, nobody's going to ever get it right but if you're not even looking then you're going to get clobbered by the first bus that comes comes down the road right you you don't have it you don't stand a chance and the vision is a big part of that where why do we even exist you know if I, if I got everything I wanted out of this business, you know, and I was retiring and today was my golden watch, you know, last day on the job, did I, did I achieve what I bothered? You know, do I have a legacy? None of that crosses the mind of a lot of these, um, you know, people who know how to turn on a machine and produce wonderful parts. You know, they can, they can create four or five jobs for people, but they don't even know really, you know, if again, structurally if something shifted out from under them, A new law, a new tax, um, you know, a a change in demographics like, you know, sea level rise, you know, uh, half of L.A. has to abandon ship. Right. Like who knows what Um, you're without a vision. Without some kind of foresight, you're in trouble.
0: That's really good. Lou. I really appreciate that. And I mean, just a lot. We covered a lot in just this time together. Thank you. my takeaway is this word resilience. I love that that thought about it and how you have to build systems around that. And, and so, Lou, if somebody listening to this episode today said, gee, that Lou Phillips sounds really sharp. I'd like to know more about him and what he's up to. Uh, where should they get a hold of you? How should they connect with you? I
1: have a pretty light uh uh social media presence and stuff. I don't have a website at the moment. So, um, at at the, probably the easiest way is my, my, my email. I'm at lou.phillips at unifybsc.com and I'm on LinkedIn. So like my LinkedIn presence is pretty strong, but, uh, um, but yeah, these are a couple of things that I myself need to do a little bit, better on in terms of my own marketing and whatever
0: but no i hear you that's all that's always that's always the case but lou i know i know you've done the real the real deal stuff and you can help people do the real deal things so thank you for stopping by today business growth on purpose really appreciate it
1: jose you rock thanks so much i appreciate it
0: my pleasure thanks for listening
1: to another episode of business growth on purpose If you like the show, hit subscribe and leave us a review to help other people find the podcast. And if you're ready to take the next step in driving intentional growth for your business, come check out what we're doing at valueprop.com. We've developed industry-leading programs and systems to help B2B owners take control of their growth. Until then, thanks for listening to another episode of Business Growth on Purpose.